Hello, and welcome to the First Baptist Hanford podcast. Our primary mission at FBH is to love God, love people, and serve the world. We hope that this weekly podcast will encourage you in your daily walk with Christ as we play for you our most recent sermon audio. Let's have a listen. Uh, Like I said, we're in the beginning of chapter 6 of the book of John, and so if you have your Bibles, if you have a Bible on your phone, you got a tablet, you brought your uh, desktop computer, I don't care, open whatever Bible you have, uh, to to 6-1, and we're going to be there in just a second, John chapter 6, verse 1. But I want to start by telling you that um, in high school, I, I tried out for the soccer team, okay? My freshman year, I tried out for the soccer team, and um when I went into high school, I, just for context, when I went into high school, I wasn't nearly as tall as I am now, um, and my voice wasn't nearly as deep as it is now. Um, uh, and I, actually, when I entered high school, I was about five foot four, okay? And um, I know some of you are like, what? That's so tall. Sorry, shorty's in the crowd. Uh, but I was about five foot four, um, and I wasn't fast. Um, I was what a lot of people uh, would call uh, slow. And, um, and, and, but I grew up playing soccer. Like I love soccer. Right. And so I was like, Oh, obviously soccer team, whatever, no big deal. So I go and I try out and, um, best the, I got the best news at the end of practice. The coach said, look, our roster is full, but we have a spot on our team for a manager. And so I said, no, and went home and cried legitimately. I remember crying on my mom and dad's bed, and then a couple hours later, I got a phone call uh, from a guy by the name of Rod Douglas. Now, Rod Douglas was the JV water polo coach at my high school at the time. I had known, I had grown up with his kids and that sort of thing, and so he called me. He's like, hey, Pete, I heard you didn't get uh, such great news uh, today uh, at soccer, and I was just like, why are you calling me and just reminding me of that? Awesome, um, and he said, well, I, I, I just want you to know that uh, you know, the water polo team, we're looking for a few more guys and make you try out. We won't make you try out. And I was like, okay, sweet. I mean, we won't make you try out. All you have to do is survive hell week. And if you survive hell week, then, you know, you're on the team. I was like, awesome. Like if that's my bar, just continue to survive. I'm good. Right. Um, And so I did that. And and along with me, I had uh, 17 other of my friends who were freshmen that year who decided to play water polo. Um, And so all of us from our freshman year to our sophomore year, junior year, senior year, we continued all the way up through the ranks. We did the summer water polo thing. We did swimming thing. We did all the things that we were supposed to do in order to achieve our goal. Is obviously, um, I forgot what our goal was, like CIF champion or whatever it was called at the time, right? Section, section champion. And so I remember days of morning practice when I got on the varsity team and getting up super early and getting in the pool at 6 a.m., which is fine um, if your pool is heated regularly. Ours was heated semi-regularly because it was so old it constantly broke. Uh, but I remember getting in, like in February, right, is when you're allowed to start practicing for, uh, for uh, yeah, for, for swimming. Um, and just steam billowing off the pool and thinking to myself, okay, I have to be in a Speedo. Sorry for the mental image. I got to be in a Speedo and get into that thing right now. But the problem is, is there's about 20 feet from where I'm standing to where that warm water is. So, all right, ready, set, go, and go. And, 
And man, we dedicated ourselves for four years to becoming the best water polo team that we could possibly become. I mean, our senior year, like I said, there were 18 seniors on our team and two juniors. So the year after us, they had a real tough time. But my year, it was actually a really, really good year. We actually made it deeper into uh, section playoffs than any team in our high school had ever made it before. Um, and so we were really enthusiastic about that. But I remember times in the just the, the nitty gritty, uh, just the practice sessions and the, the bus rides and the tournaments and my summers that I gave up and all that stuff of thinking to myself, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And I remember our coach specifically just said, hey, keep showing up. Trust the process. Just trust what we're doing here. Keep showing up. And it really was that faithful obedience that we had to, to what we were trying to accomplish, to our team, to one another, that allowed us to move as far forward as we were actually moving forward. Now, I tell that story because today, as we're looking at the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 people, uh, we're going to look at just a small act of obedience and looking at what God is going to do with that small act of obedience to be able to bless the entire world uh, because of it. Now, I don't know where you're at in your faith right now. I know some of you are, uh, uh, have been Christians for your entire life. There's others of you who uh, are, maybe you're in church for the first time today. I don't know where exactly uh, you are. And maybe, maybe regardless, if you're somewhere in the middle, you're still having a hard time with this whole love God, love people, serve the world thing that we're pushing at. And what does that actually look like? How does that flesh itself out in, uh, in my normal life? I don't know. Last weekend, we even talked about the state of our finances in the church, right? You may have, have thought to yourself, I can't make a difference. That's a lot of money. Or maybe you thought to yourself that that sounds rough. It's not my problem. Or maybe let's, let's broaden it a little bit. Maybe you're in here and you're frustrated with the state of the world. You're frustrated with where our world uh, is at, and this world is a massive place with a ton of problems, and so because of all of those problems, there's no way that small, insignificant me can make an impact. There are too many people. Or maybe beyond that, there are a ton of people who have made poor life decisions that led to where they're currently at, and so they dug themselves into that hole. They can get themselves out. I don't know where you are or what camp you fall into, but I do know that as a church, this is an Andy Stanley quote, we should do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. We should do for one what we wish that we could do for everyone. Today we get to talk through a story uh, that is one of two stories that are mentioned in every single gospel. One is the resurrection account, okay? That's in every single gospel. But the other one is Jesus feeding the 5,000 people. And so when four separate apostles write about one specific thing, we should probably pay attention to the contents of that story. So we start off in John 6, and Jesus and his disciples have left. They are trying to get away from the crowds. Remember, at this point in Jesus' ministry, people are flocking to him. I mean, they want to continue to see the signs and wonders that, are consistently, that Jesus is consistently doing. There's a lot of people who would say, I believe in Jesus, but simply they are believing in Jesus because of what he is doing for them. Because of the magic tricks that Jesus is showing, because of the, feel, the, the, uh, the healing of their physical bodies that he's doing for them. So there's a whole lot of these people. So Jesus and his disciples are like, all right, we're going to go. 
And so that's where we pick up here in verse 1. It says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for, all, for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Hold on to that. Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. Verse 7, Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have, light, to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. So John's account of the story in chapter 6 of his gospel tells us that Jesus had compassion on the crowds and taught them. Then as the day kind of grew to a close, Jesus seemed to make an impossible decision to feed all of these people. Thus, Jesus and his disciples are faced with an absurd task. I believe that from Jesus' response, we can draw two principles. The first of which is the principle of obedience, and the second is the principle of expectation. Obedience and expectation. If you remember nothing else from my message this morning, these are the two words that you should hold on to. Obedience and expectation. And Jesus and his disciples were in the midst of their great like Galilean ministry. While the other Gospels focus on this period of Jesus' ministry uh, a little bit more, the Gospel of John spends relatively little time on it. In the midst of this ministry, Jesus takes his disciples apart for a break. Like I said, they, they went away. And the crowds began to appear. And the way that it's written here, it just, it, it, like I see it in my head like a movie, like in slow-mo. Like you just, the movie's focusing on Jesus' eyes and his head is down. And he just looks up, and there's this massive crowd just walking toward them. Sick people, uh, people who want to listen to him, people who want to challenge him, just this massive crowd coming right at him. And John tells us that Jesus challenges Philip with a question then. Where should we buy bread? But then John tells his readers that Jesus said this actually to test Philip. This is important. It tells us that in this story, our role isn't to identify with Jesus. Actually, kind of as a, as a common rule, as you're reading through the Bible and as you're reading through Scripture, most of the time, our role isn't Jesus. When you're reading a story and Jesus is doing something, it's not about you, right? It's about Jesus and what Jesus is actually doing, okay? So as we're reading through this, we need to recognize that we're not supposed to identify with Jesus here. Actually, put yourself in their position. Put yourself in Philip's position, you got Jesus, who he's been traveling with for quite a bit of time now, who simply says to him, hey, where are we going to buy food for all of these people? 5,000 men, which most scholars believe it was actually between 18 and 20,000 people. That's a lot of people. I mean, I would get stressed out if someone just came to me and said, hey, we're, uh, we're thinking about just keeping everybody here for lunch today. Okay? The 350 of you who are in here right now. So, uh, you know, we're going to have lunch today. Go ahead and find out where to feed the 350 people. Like, even for us with access to Costco, that would be difficult, right? 
I mean, even with us access to, to Save Mart and fast food and Little Caesars, like everybody would walk out of here with an upset stomach and underfed. That's what would happen. Well, I'd tell Kyle, like, hey, Kyle, run to Taco Bell, bro. Like they know you by first name. Go over to Taco Bell real quick and get as many Fiesta packs as we could possibly, possibly get. That's really where we would lay. Like even in this modern context, right? But Jesus here is asking Philip to do something that's impossible. There's no mass quantities produced anywhere. There's no bakery in the back of Costco where you walk back to and you're like, yep, I do need this pumpkin cheesecake for myself, right? There was no access to any of that stuff. No access to it at all. And so Jesus is asking Philip to do something incredibly difficult. And Philip was simply obedient to what Jesus asked him to do. And Philip started going in his head and trying to figure out in his head, like, what is the cost of these things going to be? How is it that, that I'm going to pay for this and all that stuff? And so then Andrew comes alongside Philip. And Andrew, he's one of my favorite uh, disciples because Andrew is a disciple of small things. People who, who have the gift of, like, working behind the scenes, you shy people out there who don't want a lot of attention, right? Those of you who are, like, opposite of Pastor Jeff, right, who always wants attention for everything that he does, just kidding, Jeff. I don't know where you're sitting. I'm just kidding. But for those of you who are, who, who are just like, you know what? Put me behind the scenes. I want to support you all. I want to love you all. I want to make food for you all. Like, that is who Andrew was. And so Andrew comes alongside. He's like, look, I, I don't know if this is helpful. I mean, he didn't say this. I don't know if this is helpful, but hey, I got like five loaves and two fish. And I'm sure the rest of the guys were like, you idiot. Like, what? are you doing? Don't you know there's 5,000 just men alone out here? There's like 18, 20,000 people that we need to feed. And you're like, I got five loaves and two fish? Like that's not even enough to feed Peter, much less everybody else, right? And so like in their heads, I'm sure they're thinking, you got to be kidding me right now. But this is why I love Andrew, okay? Andrew, uh, in a couple books that I read, he's referred to as the apostle of small things, and so Andrew is actually incredibly faithful in another story that we've already gone through. Andrew uh, went after Jesus had called Andrew to be one of his disciples. The first thing that Andrew did was run and find his brother. Andrew didn't go on Facebook and tell everybody how much he loved Jesus, right? Andrew didn't go and find a synagogue and start preaching in a synagogue or anything like that. Andrew immediately went and thought about the person who needed to know most about Jesus, went and found him and introduced him. That's what Andrew did. And so here we have another instance now of Jesus feeding the 5,000 people, and Andrew's like, look, I got a lunchbox. Here, Jesus, you do what, what, with it what you will. And here's the funny thing, is I feel like that the disciples would probably have given him a pretty bad rap for this, like probably been like, are you kidding me right now, Andrew, said. But there's no mention of any of the other disciples doing anything in here. Andrew simply said, okay, Jesus wants us to feed these people. I'm going to be obedient to what it is that Jesus said. That's what Andrew said. That's what Andrew did. And so I'm sure there's, uh, there's probably some excitement little bit of anticipation going on here is Jesus, you know, took the lunchbox from him. He's like, all right. Perhaps a, a hush fell over the crowd as Jesus was like, all right, everybody get into your 
get into your little little groups here, get into your small groups, talk about what Jesus, Jesus shared during the day. We'll process it. We'll talk about our thoughts and our feelings and our prayer concerns and all that stuff. No, they just sat down because they were hungry, right? And Jesus, Jesus begins by, by it, start, it, it picks up there in verse 11. It says, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, a miracle of feeding the 5,000, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So important part, as we pick up in verse 11 here, is that Jesus took the loaves and he gave thanks. This seems like an insignificant detail. Because all of you, as you sit down at dinner, for the most part, all of you, as you sit down at dinner, you stop and you give thanks. The mo- the, one of the most popular times for people to pray, for Christians to pray. Like, you can't eat a meal without praying for it first, right? Like, that's in the Bible. It's not. But this is what Jesus does here. And it seems like an insignificant fact But John gives us a clue that something more important is going on here. Actually, later on in John 10, we read, Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Not where the Lord had miraculously fed 5,000. Not uh, near the place where the Lord worked a great wonder, but near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. It's just an interesting thing that I had never really seen until I did a deeper dive on the study. That this place later on isn't referred to as, oh, Jesus' great miracle. But as it's referred to as Jesus feeding that many people, it also talks about this is where the place where Jesus gave thanks. So little nugget, take from it what you will. But that's it. That's the entirety of this account in the Gospel of John. It's the entirety of what we get. A measly 15 verses on an incredible story of Christ providing where man could do nothing about the situation. Where man could seemingly do nothing about the situation. Think back to our fall carnival. For those of you who are at our fall carnival, we did a big fall carnival thing out here. We did the the bounce houses and we did the food and we did face painting. We did the pumpkin launching. Also, raise your hand if you launch some pumpkins with us. Let's go. That was so much fun. Um, I won. It wasn't a contest, but I definitely won. Um, But if you think back to the fall carnival, we distributed invitations to thousands of people. Thousands of people. I mean, if you recall, we got special cards printed that we could then send to Hanford Unified School District and then allow those invitations to be put into the packet that every single elementary student could take home with them. And then on top of that, We decided, hey, you know what's a good idea? Let's also not charge for food. And so all of a sudden, we we created a big problem. Most of the problem was my own anxiety. Um, Because because the fact that we had no clue how many people were going to show up. We had absolutely no clue. And on top of that, we said, you know what? 
you should show up, thousands of you, hey, show up, and everything is free. Actually, that was the main part of our handout, was free everything. With no catch. Just come. And we want your kids to bounce on some bounce houses. We'll feed you uh, some hot dogs that were warm at one point. <laughs> we got chips. We got some water. And we're going to send your kids home with five pounds of candy each. Now, I don't know if every kid got that, but my kids being pastor's kids, I think some, kids, some people were a little extra generous because as my child went home and weighed his bag of candy, it was 5.2 pounds. Thank you. They are now sitting right here. But at the fall carnival, we were so anxious what, like as we were putting that whole thing forward because we had no clue how many people were going to show up. And we said, hey, we're going to feed everybody. Everybody's going to get fed. Come on over. And so Jeff and I are talking, do we buy more food? Do we double our food budget? Like, what, do we go to Costco? What happens if this many people show up? What do we do? Are we run into Save Mart? We go to Food for Less? Like, it's quicker to go to something around the corner, but it's more cost effective if we run over to Costco. Like, all of these things we're going through, like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to feed this many people? And that's the reaction that we see Philip have in this story is how are we going to do this? It doesn't make sense. We have no clue how many people there are. There is no place for us to go and buy these things. Beyond that, the money that it would cost to feed all these people, it's like half a year's wages. There's no way we can do that. And then Andrew shows up and he's just like, hey, I got this. I got this. Can you imagine what, what Jesus is asking of his disciples here? Can you just, like, like this, this group, the, the size, uh, this group that is legitimately the size of Lemoore Naval Air Station. 18,000 people who are out at LNAS. And Jesus is like, hey, let's feed them. Can you imagine the thought process in the disciples' head? Like, you're crazy. Even for a bite each, like this is not feasible. We need to feed, feed all of them, as Jesus said. Figure it out. I would have been terrified to run out. I would have had so much anxiety. I would have been going over scenarios in my head, calling in personal favors to friends of mine who were bakers. And I don't even have any friends who are bakers. But that's what I would have been trying to do. I wouldn't have known what to do. And my fear probably would have frozen me. Because the disciples saw this massive group of people that Jesus had charged them to bless. And they had no clue what it is they were supposed to do. I also may have had my cynical side. That I probably would have said, you know, hey, look, they came out here to hear Jesus teach. They knew they were coming. You know what they should have done? They should have brought a sack lunch. Sound familiar, right? Like, like most of us in here are like, yeah, why didn't those people grab, bring a sack lunch? That's on them. And my guess is the majority of the disciples probably would have been okay with that. Said, so Jesus, just send them away. We don't have the means. It's not possible. There's not even enough bread in this city to feed all of these people. So just send them away. Just send them away. And that, like, that would have been my cynical side showing up. Like, hey, they dug themselves into this hole. Allow them to figure it out. That's their responsibility. That's on them. And beyond that, the context of the story tells us that Jesus and the disciples were trying to get away from everybody. 
Like they are trying to escape the crowds and all of a sudden 18,000 people show up. You imagine if you're doing your quiet time and you looked up and 18,000 people were walking at you? That'd be terrifying. And I would have been upset because I really enjoy my quiet time. Like how come 18,000 of you think it's okay to come knock on my door right now? So these are all things that would have gone through my head. These are all inconveniences that would have gone through my head. These are all doubts that would have gone through my head because of the, the, just the immensity of what Jesus was asking his disciples to do at this point. So Jesus obviously put his disciples in a tough situation. And like I said, Andrew moves and does something that at the time probably seemed pretty ridiculous to all of the rest of the guys there. So you can pull a few things from this for our lives, especially as we enter into the Thanksgiving season. Jesus doesn't expect us to change the world. He expects us to be obedient with what we have. Jesus doesn't expect us to change the world. He expects us to be obedient with what we have. And that's what Andrew did. I don't even know if that was Andrew's lunch. I mean, I don't even know if Andrew asked that kid for his lunch. Like Andrew made just like, hey, bro, I need that, right? (laughs) Jesus needs some food. But, but, but somehow Andrew got that food. And as Andrew got that food and he simply delivered it to Jesus, he was obedient with the things he had. See, Jesus knew what was going on. Jesus knew what it was he was going to do. He knew he put his disciples in an impossible situation here just to see how they would respond. Just to see how it is that they would respond. He knew Philip and Andrew couldn't feed anybody. He doesn't expect you to change the entire world. He doesn't expect you to bless 18,000 people. But he does expect you to be obedient with the blessings that you do have and allow him to work through those blessings. That's what Jesus asks us to do. Jesus called for the bread, and he called for the fish to be brought to him. He gave thanks for, to it, and then this entire multitude was fed with that one small meal. Jesus provided not just what they needed, Jesus provided what they wanted. And we all know that's a very important distinction to make, especially with Thursday coming up. Right? All of us will have what we need, but we will venture into what we want, and then we'll venture further into what it is that we regret. So Jesus fed them to the point of what it is they wanted, not even what it is they needed. It wasn't like, hey, here's one slice of bread for you. Grab a little nibble of that fishtail, right? That's not what Jesus is doing here. As much as they wanted and they ate and they were satisfied, Christ did not just meet the need. He lavished them with so much food that they were 12 baskets full of broken pieces and fish left over. See, God will shatter, God will shatter the pint-sized expectations of what his followers can do if they would learn to bring them what they have already been given. If they would simply be obedient to him. There's a famous quote that says, little is much when God is in it. Little is much when God is in it. When those who call Christ their Savior are willing to offer their lives sacrificially, 
relinquishing their hold on whatever God has given them in the terms of time, in terms of money, in the terms of talent. You fill in the blank. You fill in your blessing. When you are willing to let go of those things, God will use the ordinary things to create the extraordinary things. God will use the ordinary things to create extraordinary things. Christians must never believe their resources are too little to serve God. You must never believe that your resources, the things that God has blessed you with, are too little to serve God. Look at his disciples. God takes the lowly, unassuming, humble, seemingly insignificant people, seemingly insignificant blessings, and using those things for his glory. It's all throughout Scripture. Everywhere, Jesus chooses people that should not be those people. Like, they, like there is no reason for us to remember Peter the fisherman because he was a fisherman. He was dumb. Sorry, he was uneducated. But there is no reason for us to remember these people in history. But Jesus takes that which we feel like is insignificant and uses it for his glory, uses it for significance. So many of us are like Philip, where our minds immediately run to the cost of the project. Our minds immediately run to, that's not feasible. We can't do that. There is no way for us to be able to pull something like that off. Instead of simply saying, look, these are the blessings that I have. I'm going to take them and give them to Jesus and let him deal with the repercussions because he's called me to. And he can sort it out. And when I allow Jesus to do that with the blessings in my life, I'm able to sleep real good at night. Regardless of what it is. In times of trial, in times of blessing, whatever. If I say, hey, look, I'm going to work unto you, Jesus. Everything that you have given me is yours. And so because of that, I am going to return those blessings to other people and you can deal with it. Because I have enough faith in you to allow you to do so. I trust you with that. And while Andrew didn't say it, and I'm not even sure if Andrew knew what he was doing. Andrew may have said, hey, look, this is a start. But for Andrew, Simply just be like obedient. Be like, all right, hey, God, Jesus, you want me to feed all these people? I mean, here's a start. And with that ordinary blessing, Jesus creates the extraordinary. With that ordinary blessing, four different gospel accounts of this event have been shared. With that ordinary blessing that Andrew was able to hold open-handed, 20,000 people were able to be fed. You know, so a couple weeks ago, we heard about this uh, this Navy family Christmas thing that we're, we're doing, we're partnering with Lemoore Naval Air Station. Um, and we know that over the course of the last six weeks, eight weeks or whatever, man, we have asked a lot of our congregation in terms of giving back to the community, in terms of serving the world. We've asked a lot. You know, we did Operation Christmas Child. We, need a, we needed a ton of volunteers to be able to pull off our fall carnival. Our kids are doing a canned food drive. We got frozen turkeys coming into the kitchen. I mean, we have been doing a ton over the course of the last six weeks. A ton. And so when I heard about the need, and you know, I asked Stacy, 
um, to tell me a little bit more, hey, figure out some way the church can can bless you guys in some way. I wasn't, my intention wasn't to do a full-blown thing that we're doing because I know that we have already asked a lot of everybody. But I thought to myself is, well, my wife and I did most of our Christmas shopping. I say I really loosely. My wife did most of our Christmas shopping. Um, and I thought to myself, how easy is it for me to be able to throw a couple extra things into the cart, check them out, and bless somebody else? You know, Sarah and I didn't go and buy hundreds of things to be able to fill up these gift bags that we are giving uh, to the spouses of those who are deployed. We didn't take all 60 of the spouses and bring them over to our house and create this fantastic meal. We didn't personally provide babysitting for them because we have a regular daycare at our house every single day anyway. It's just with our kids. We don't actually have a daycare. We didn't do anything extravagant. We looked at our budget and we said, okay, look, we have some money here that we can use to bless people. How much can we bless people? And we blessed people with as much as we could. And then I took them and I brought them to the church office. I said, Jeff, is this right? He said, yep, those are right. And we just, we, I'm going to let God deal with the consequences of that. Because I'm open-handed with my blessings. They say, look, I, like, like, God, I know like this extra 60 bucks or 80 bucks or whatever it is that, that Sarah and I ended up spending on them. Like, I know like that isn't going to be enough for everybody. But what if the body of Christ just decided to step up? And what if the body of Christ decided, you know what? There's a situation here with people who are in our community, people whose spouses are deployed, allowing those freedoms that we enjoy here. How can we serve them in some way? My guess is, is that no one in here can do all 60 of those gift, gift bags for those, for those spouses. My guess is that everybody in here can do something. Something. And it goes beyond the gift bags. It goes beyond those things. It goes into how we are being used in the midst of the body of Christ. Is that how are the things that, that you have been blessed with impacting the kingdom of God? How are those things that you are blessed with widening the kingdom of God and deepening the kingdom of God? How are your blessings doing that? Are you holding them open-handed? And I'm not just talking about financially. Man, we have some of the smartest people in the world in our congregation. I don't know if that's true, but a lot of them think so. We have some incredibly intelligent people in our congregation. People who are gifted in very, very specific ways and there are needs that they could meet in the midst of our community simply by saying yes and saying, God, you've blessed me with this. Use it. God, you've blessed me with this. Use it. It's the whole reason we get spiritual gifts in the first place. It's so we can impact the kingdom of God. It's for the building up of the church. It's so that some of you who have been gifted with the gift of prayer, man, go home and pray up a storm for the kingdom of God. Go home and use that gift. Shut your door. Go into a closet. I want to see you. I want you to be on your knees praying because you have much more faith than I do probably. And so use that. Use your gift. Use your blessing and allow God to deal with the consequences of it. 
Because God has simply called us to be obedient. The problem is, is that a lot of us in here, we have figured out that, okay, I got the obedience thing down. Obedience means coming to church on Sunday, go to small group on Wednesday, read my Bible every morning, say my prayers before dinner every night. I am obedient. The issue is, is that we're lacking the other side of things, which is expectation. As that we think to ourselves, okay, I'm going to be obedient to God because he told me so. I'm going to be obedient to God because he told me so. I'm going to be obedient to God because he told me so. And that's the right thing to do. But we then need to expect God to show up. We need to expect Jesus to show up. We need to expect that Jesus is going to deal with the repercussions of our obedience because that's what he's called us to. It's to simply be obedient and let him work. You know, back when Andrew introduced Peter to Jesus, you know how much evangelizing Andrew did? From what we see, almost zero. Andrew simply said, Peter, I found the Messiah. Come on. And just introduced him to Jesus. Andrew's blessing was the small things. He was able to see a, a situation and say, hey, I don't know if this can but but let's try and so Andrew grabbed Peter and introduced him to Jesus. In the same way, Andrew grabbed a lunch and brought it to Jesus. Said, Look, Jesus, these are the things you blessed me with. You blessed me with being able to see the, the significance in these small things. I expect you to deal with the repercussions of it. And so my question this morning for all of us, churches, are we expecting repercussions from Jesus? Are you expecting repercussions from Jesus? And that's for those of us who, who have been a part of faith for a while. Maybe you're in the camp that, man, are, are you simply being obedient to Jesus? Are you on step one? And that's okay if you are. Man, I find myself back at step one weekly. Every single week I go back to step one. Because I'm messed up. We're all messed up. We do dumb things and we come back and we're broken and humble before the Lord. We're like, God, I'm sorry. I'm going to do my best to continue to become sanctified, to become holy before you. Okay, God, now here's my blessings. They're open-handed. Respond. I expect repercussions. And a lot of times those repercussions aren't the repercussions we want. Okay, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying if you give us five bucks, you're going to get a million. Maybe you will. There's no guarantee of that. I'm not saying anything like that. I am simply saying you have blessings in your life. Use them open-handed in such a way that God can deal with those repercussions, that God can deal with those things that come up after, that, that Andrew's like, hey, here's a lunch. All right, I want to give thanks, and it's going to feed everybody. Is that the kind of faith we have? Is that the type of obedience we have? is that we're not only going to be obedient, but we're going to expect God to do something into that or with that obedience. No matter how insignificant we may think our gifts or talents are. No matter how insignificant. Church, what would it look like if we took our blessings and brought them to God and said, God, this is what I have. This is what I have. It's all I got. Use it. You've blessed me with it. This isn't mine in the first place. This isn't my money. This isn't my blessing. This isn't my spiritual gift. It's for you. It's to honor the kingdom. So use it. 
God, and use it in a way that I never imagined that you could possibly use it, but use it. I'm going to be obedient. And now that I've been obedient, I expect you, God, to hold up your end of the bargain. And that's an okay thing. we got a big God. He's got broad shoulders, and he is capable of doing way more than you ever imagined with the tiny little blessings that you assume are tiny little blessings. So I'd say as you're going into the Thanksgiving season this week, man, figure out how you can bless someone else. Figure out how you can feed someone else's soul, a small blessing. You know what I know a small blessing is at Thanksgiving to a family with five kids? While you're there, I'm not saying bring me food, okay? Is, man, simply show up and with each of their kids, just say, hey, can I get, can I get Cooper's plate for him? Can I get Micah's plate for him? I could keep going, but we'll be here for another half hour. Can I do that for you? How about you bless those who are disabled in some way? And those who can't get up and around and and be able to have conversations with everybody in the house this Thanksgiving? What if you blessed them by simply walking over to the chair next to them, plopped down, and had a full conversation with them? A real conversation with them. One that would honor them and one that would bless them. One that would glorify God in the midst of it. Man, you want to know what one of your biggest blessings is as a church? Your time. Your time. I don't know what it looks like for you, but I knew that, do know that as we are going into this season of Thanksgiving, that you have blessings that you probably haven't thought about or blessings that you assume are insignificant. My hope is, is that you would wait expectantly for God to show up as you are obedient with those blessings. Amen, church? Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful uh, for uh, Thanksgiving week. And I'm thankful for kind of what this season signifies, what this season ushers in for us, the blessings that you have given us, God. I pray that we would use those and expect you to show up and expect you to deal with the repercussions of those things. God, you've called us to be obedient, just like you called Andrew to be obedient, like you called Philip to be obedient. And where one counted the cost and froze, the other simply said, God, look, I got got some bread and fish. Do with it what you will. And God, that's so true in all of our lives with the blessings that you've given us is that we so often think they're insignificant, that we can't make a big impact, we can't do anything like that. I don't have enough money, I don't have enough time, I don't don't have enough talent, whatever it is. You simply say, hey, be obedient with the blessings that I've given you. Show me your obedience and let me change the world with it. Let me take care of that part. Show me your obedience. And so, God, I know that there's, there's people in here who are outside of faith with you still. You're just like, I don't know how I fit into this whole thing, but man, I want to be, it sounds like I want to be obedient to God. I want to be able to serve other people and love other people. I want to expand his kingdom. It sounds like the right thing. If that's you this morning, and just, just every, every service we end with the ABCs. We admit, we believe, and we choose. So with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, Just pray along with me that say, A, Father, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I admit that I struggle with obedience, 
Admit that, man, I, like, I have done some terrible things in my life, God. And I'm a sinful person. And so, God, I'm sorry for that, but B, I, I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross on my behalf. That because you sent your son, my sins are washed clean. And so because of the fact that my sins for, are, are washed clean, I would choose to follow you every single day. I would choose to follow you. I would be obedient to following you. And God, we recognize you're, you're a big God. And you have blessed us immensely. Father, allow us to be obedient and expectant with those blessings. We love you, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this week's sermon. Music was by the band Broke for Free. And if you would like more information about our church, feel free to check out fbhanford.org. That's fbhanford.org. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.